This is the Ned Group Investments Podcast, a space where you can learn more about our fund managers, the funds they manage, as well as getting up-to-date and important developments affecting the investment world and how they might be relevant to you. With today's event themed around disruption, who better to talk about disruption and the impact that it will have on the asset management and wealth management business than Abby Knight. Abby, over to you. Thanks for the introduction and welcome everyone to my session today on differentiation in the age of disruption. So this is the journey I'm going to take you on throughout our discussion. I'm going to start by looking at changing consumer behaviours in light of the pandemic. Then I'll talk about the role technology played and will continue to play and how we as business people can adjust. Then I'll talk about differentiation and specifically the two two paths to differentiate your business. And then I'm going to um, really sign off this with action I urge you to take. I've got lots of insights and there's action there that will give you direct steps on what you can do to adopt these practices in your business. So what happened? We hit pause on the world and it changed forever. So now what businesses are trying to do, and it's really important, is figuring out how you can remain relevant. So that's really the focus of today's discussion. So what we saw at the start of the pandemic was actually a lot of brands getting it wrong. As you can see, they did a lot of brand code play. And what this is, this is where um, brands started to you know, keep their distance and send out messages about how we should all be staying safe. And everyone got a little bit tired of that. What we also saw was then an influx of CEO messages where every CEO that we've ever, for any business that we've ever done business with, started telling us to stay home and stay safe. It all became very samey. And also, I even started getting emails from a designer handbag brand saying that their supply chain wasn't disrupted. So if I wanted to order a designer handbag, I could. And really, what all of these things showed me was how wrong people were getting their marketing at this time and how wrong their communication strategies were. They weren't differentiating between me and someone that had bought from them last week. They weren't differentiating, you know, who I was and um, what my needs might be. And they were just using this blanket brush approach to uh, really just deliver nothing um, to their target audience. So, you know, actually, it got even worse um, before I move on. Um, You know, I saw this on Twitter and it was a guy basically saying, so do all brands have to make a stay home Corona ads? Um, You know, I just saw one from a cheese company and I'm really confused. Can't you just show me an ad for your cheese? Um, So brands really, really got it wrong. So now it's time um, to take a stand and do things differently. A couple of brands did get it right, though, so I'm not going to put everyone into the same bucket. But here was um, a luxury consumer brand. They sent out a letter saying what all of these luxury brands were doing um, in light of the pandemic to actually support the community as a whole and our NHS here in the UK. So what actually did change? What were consumers thinking? There was a shift to value and essentials. A lot of people saw that their monthly income was um, under threat. So they started to look at how they can start to save money and only spend on things that were absolutely essential. We saw a flight towards digital digital and omni-channel strategies. We saw um, consumers that were already starting to engage with digital, engage with it ever more in their daily lives. Uh, We also saw a shock to loyalty. And what I mean by this is people started to turn to new brands purely because of supply chain issues. They weren't able to um, get the products or brands that they'd usually usually purchase. So they started to look around for alternatives. And some of those alternatives that got their marketing right, um, they've continued to utilize. We saw, of course, because of the pandemic, um, a more um, kind of interesting look at the health and caring economy that became more important in people's eyes, as you would imagine. And of course, the home body economy, because we are all locked down. And 
uh, interestingly, a lot of the research I'm looking at says that that trend is likely to continue. So what did advisors and business owners do during this time? Well, their response was it was more difficult to, than ever to convert. So if you had any um, clients in the pipeline, they were they were definitely putting decisions on hold rather than going in and um, engaging with you more uh, in order to, um, to to start to utilize your services. Um, what we also found is that we have to demonstrate value in this new environment. And the key to that was digital engagement and also figuring out a remote servicing model. What we also realized is that a lot of people had holes in their client experience um, because when you're doing things in real life, if there are um, gaps behind the scenes, you're not really seeing those because you're able to fill them with people. And those people are in, in an office, they're able to communicate and they're able to work together to overcome whatever challenge that is. But when you go to a remote servicing model, everything changes and a lot of firms struggled there. We saw a lot more attention and focus on employee care. And interestingly, um, it was also a lot of firms looking to support the local community. And really, this is, this is why it's interesting is because that's exactly what consumers wanted them to do as well. So, so UK consumers are about 57% more likely to make future purchases based on those firms they see that are actually helping out and supporting the local community. So really the sentiment over the entire time is if I can do it online, I will. So this was just a sudden acceleration at the 25-year-old trend. So we also saw a lot of people I would um, engage with on their digital marketing strategies would say, my clients are never going to go digital. Um, what we saw is that was not actually the case, that technology was used, was used every day by people that previously were slow to adopt. And it was really building communities rather than separating them. And what we saw is that people actually started to feel more connected through technology, and they expect that connection um, to stay even in a post-COVID world that we're now coming out of. So on the technology front, how did um, the businesses that we work with here, how did they adapt? Well, what we saw is that um, advice firms did just have to get on and quickly adopt and adapt. I mean, all businesses across the value chain and financial services did. They had to digitally optimize their operations. They basically started to fast track their digital transformation. We saw a lot of businesses start to actually build their own platforms because they didn't want to be held hostage by platform providers anymore. They wanted to own the tech in-house. We saw a new normal evolve with remote working and video meetings. Only a very small proportion of the firms that I'd engaged with pre-pandemic were actually using video meetings um, to great effect. Um, so this now is what's happening every day. I mean, I'm here presenting to you from an office in London via video, and um, we're going to see that continue after um, we come out of our various lockdowns around the world. What we also saw was a, a switch in mindset where businesses started to see technology as a driver for growth and profitability rather than just a necessary cost. But what was most interesting to me and what I'm going to focus on today is really the change that we've seen in 2021. We've seen a real shift in focus away from all of these things or including or in addition to these things that I've just mentioned towards client experience and digital engagement. And really, it's because Digital is incredibly powerful. Research shows that 50% of consumers will switch from brands that have a poor online experience. And another 73% believe that digital is going to change their future spending habits, and that's going to, that's going to happen um, and continue to happen. And 58% want to use a combination of digital and face-to-face -face or offline um, in a post-COVID world. So it really is powerful. However, 
a lot of brands got it wrong at the start of the pandemic and a lot of them continue to get it wrong. And consumers are saying they don't want any more cheese. It's the age of authenticity. And so 63% of individuals say they prefer to do business with a brand they view as more authentic than its competitors. So what does that mean? It means you need to differentiate. And here's how. You need to do a differentiation test. If you're planning to go out and start to differentiate your business or you as your personal brand, you need to really answer these three questions. Is it true? Is it relevant? And can I prove it? And you can avoid these mistakes as well. Please don't ever compete on price because that will just be a race to the bottom and everyone loses out. Superior service is not a differentiator. Everyone expects you to deliver a good service and saying that that's your key point of differentiation without any like proven practices or, or approaches, then that, you know, that's, that's not a differentiator. The next one is don't ever say that you've got great people because we would expect you to have great people in your business. And last one is just be authentic and build a reputation in that area where you're looking to differentiate yourself. Once you're authentic and you've got that reputation as an expert, it will allow you to maintain it and stop the competitors from catching up to you. So here are the two parts. The first one is first impact. And what I mean by first impact is really making sure that your brand, your positioning, your marketing, and your language tells people as soon as they land on your site or come to an event or meet you face-to-face that they're in the right place, that this proposition is right for them. So the way to get this right is to start by identifying, well, who are you targeting, asking what questions are they seeking to answer, and figure out what will resonate with them. And then packaging up all of that into a language that your target audience are going to understand in order to cut through the noise. So this is when we get into a situation of really starting to develop what we call an ideal client archetype. You might hear a buyer persona used. So here, this is Anthony. Anthony is 51 years old. He's married. He has three children. He drives a Range Rover and he lives in Somerset. I know everything about this man because I've created an ideal client avatar all about him. So what I've done is rather than just saying we target business owners or we target, you know, fund managers or we target whatever we're doing, we're actually digging deeper and looking at psychographic characteristics that influences how they're going to buy from us. And also their behavioral characteristics that are important to them. You know, is price a factor? Um, Is brand more important? Is being local to them ever more important? So it's about figuring out these things and going even deeper and, you know, looking at where do they hang out? You know, what media they do they consume? What social channels are they on? What fuels their passion? Are they passionate about the environment? Are they passionate about other social issues? And how can you tap into what they're passionate about and deliver services or content that's aligned to that? And another one is, you know, what keeps them awake at night? What are they most worried about? And how can you tap into that insight too? So once you know this, once you know who your ideal client archetype is, then you need to figure out how, why are you right for them? And that's your unique superpower or your value proposition. So that's really addressing the questions, who are you? What makes you different? And then importantly, why should I care if I'm going to start working with you or if, if your proposition is relevant? One way to do this is I call the blank method. We help X do Y by doing X. So for example, for a marketing professional like myself, it could be something along the lines of, I help financial planners to supercharge their marketing and communicate with clarity using the tools, techniques, and templates I homed in my marketing agency. So have a go at that yourselves because uh, what you'll find is that if you use the sniper rifle focus in your marketing, you know who you're targeting, you know what their needs are, you know how different you are. It's the difference between walking down a London street, um, if you know, you're know you in London, it's very crowded here, and someone yelling out to you, hey, man, 
or someone yelling out, hey, man with the short blonde hair, or hey, man with the glasses. Or if you get really good at your marketing and your communication strategy, hey, Charles, that really makes your target audience sit up and take notice. Here are some companies that are doing it well, um, and I suggest you, I'll recommend you go on and take a look at them because they're really articulating their value proposition in a way that's easy to consume and understand, and they're talking in a language that will really resonate with their audiences. So that's the first path. The second path to differentiation is client experience. And you know what? If you do things differently when it comes to your client experience, people will start to talk, and that's where you start to get a lot more word-of-mouth recommendations and referrals. So... This is one of the firms um, that I've been working with. And what they did, and they really ramped it up during the pandemic, was they created an online engagement tool to help their clients and also non-clients to start to look at their finances in a different way. It's using a jigsaw approach to show a holistic view of their finances. And really what happens is if a tile is red, it means it needs immediate action. If it's green, it means they don't need to worry about. But if it's amber, it's something they should start to think about. And this was used and rolled out even to their older clients pre-pandemic and then during the pandemic. And they found that this was a great tool that differentiated their proposition because it got the client to start thinking holistically about their money. We also saw BIQ winning um, a lot of attention um, during the pandemic, a lot of advisors signing up to use their tool because it uses behavioral-based profiling rather than just your typical fact find. We saw a lot of advisors um, and, and other businesses within our sector start to turn to apps. And there's a lot of apps that you can use to get your brand front and center on a client phone, which is a really um, great piece of real estate. The next thing you need to start to think about is, okay, well, if I know who I'm talking to and I know what my value proposition is, how do I then engage these clients and do it differently? Well, the challenge is because we're doing a lot of this digitally, you need to take your clients through what would traditionally be an offline process, which is the whole idea of no and, you know, raising general awareness of your proposition and, you know, what is your unique superpower, then you have to get people to start to like you. So, you know, do they like you? Can they relate to you? Because that's the type of people they want to do business with. And lastly, trust. Can they trust that you're an expert? And, you know, the question they're going to ask is, you know, can he help me? And have you helped others just like me to achieve success? So if you turn this into a strategy that delivers content aligned to answer these needs, you're more likely to build a pipeline of willing clients that understand who you are and what you can do for them, and they're more likely to engage. So this first stage is about sharing your story, explaining what you do, and how you can help your target audience. This is really what's known as your cornerstone content or your lead magnet for visitors to download. The next stage is getting them to like you. And this is where you get a bit more specific about what your services are and the features, the benefits and points of differentiation. And the last stage is really the most difficult because that's improving your expertise and showing social proof that you've helped deliver, you know, other, other, help other people deliver against their objectives and you indeed can help this client as well. So this is where you get to a content marketing strategy. And your content marketing strategy is all about driving clients through the know, like, and trust process to turn them into paying customers or paying clients once they've got enough information about you. So, for example, during the first stage, you can create a strategy of having, you know, just a lot of blog content videos and podcasts out there where people don't have to register for that. Or if they do see something of interest, they can register and they'll get a value exchange for that. They'll get an ebook, a report or a white paper or a handy guide. So at this stage, these people that are visiting your site, they're just looking for information. They're visiting your social channels. 
at this next stage, that 23% of people now, so you're, you're filtering them down, they're beginning to compare what you do. So they want to understand what you're like. You know, what is your culture? What are your credentials? Um, what, are the, what are the team like? Um, what is your story? Um, and does that resonate with them? Um, you can start sending out things like webinars, newsletters, and FAQs during this stage of your engagement process. And the last one, the trust side, um, about 2% will be ready to take action. And this is where you start to use case studies, testimonials, and other social proof. Here's an example of some content um, that have been used um, by our clients. So, you know, it's seven key issues facing reinsurance executives. And in here, you can see that there's a little case study. And what happened with that is people within the sector identified the man in the case study and said, well, if he's using their service, then I should use it too. So it just shows the power of that social proof. And again, this is another firm. And what they're using is, you know, know your number, how to sell a business. And they've got a step-by-step -step guide for doing that. And what this does is it actually brings people into your pipeline for content. Because what we find is that a lot of businesses, big or small, whether you work for a really large organization or a small one, what you tend to do with your marketing is either go through feast or famine. When you're not so busy and you're looking for more clients, you're going to go out there and you're going to deliver a lot of content. You're going to start engaging with um, clients. Or when you're really busy, of course, customer service takes priority. So your content is going to go into a bit of a famine. So what I'm going to encourage you to do is to take a look at what you're doing today and figure out how you can ramp that up in order to create a content engine that will help to drive engagement through that no like trust stage within your business. So I encourage you to start with a client experience audit and that's looking at everything about you. Additionally, book a meeting and actually become a client and go through your process. Is it easy to do business with you? A rule of thumb is you actually need to have 12 engagement points per year in order to convert someone from a client to a paying customer. Additionally, you need to have maintain the rule of 12 in order to keep them engaged and keep you top of mind. So I'm not going to go through this, um, but here is just you know an audit that I did of a firm and it showed exactly what they were doing. And we were able to then make sure that their messaging and their brand and their value proposition was placed front and center. But additionally, that we were able to create an automated process for delivering that content. And if you don't know, I encourage you to host a client advisory board, which is where you get your top clients in a room. You ask them what they want to hear from you and what they most value, and then you use that to inform your strategy. Because for every one minute you spend organizing, an hour is earned. I love that quote. So what does that look like? Here is your takeaway and your action. What I'd like you to do is not only create your ideal client avatar, and I've got templates if you need help with this, also create your client value proposition. Again, there's lots of stuff that can support you online and I can send you. But what I want you to do is really think about your content strategy because this is the granular marketing initiative that is going to drive the best results in your business. So brainstorm 36 article headlines. If you are then posting those articles once a fortnight, you've got basically a year and a half's worth of content. So answer these questions, sit down in a room, have a look at this presentation afterwards and start to figure out what you could do and say to your audience. Because once you've done that and you've got your content planned, you can then start to create a triggered automated marketing process. And what this is, is this is where someone comes to your site they like your cornerstone content, they download it, and then that triggers a series of emails and contact points that then enable you to keep them engaged throughout that process. So as you can see here, the first action was downloading an ebook. 
then it triggered an event to then send an email and then wait for action. If the client doesn't take any action, then they go into a different path. If they do click on the link, then you know that they're interested in that content and then you can send them more of the same. And this is how you take the heavy lifting out of your marketing once you've got that cornerstone content. So what can we do? Here's the action that I would take based on my very speedy video because I know I only had 20 minutes and I could talk about this subject all day. So the first thing I'd like you to consider is to do an end-to-end client experience audit. Look at every way a client will get in contact with you. Look at every engagement that you have with your target audience and see whether or not it's up to scratch and needs to be revisited. Or if you can take steps out and simplify the process. Next, create your ideal client avatars. So these are basically your buyer personas. And in any business, you're likely to have about three, maybe more. But consider everyone that's involved in the buying process and um, what their triggers are in order to go into the next level of engagement. Next, redefine your client value proposition, which I call your unique superpower. So that is who are you? What makes you different? Why should I care? Next, create a content strategy and assign people responsibilities for getting it done. Next, deploy your editorial calendar. So that's where everything has a delivery date. It has a person's name against it, has what that content is going to be and when you're going to push it out and on what channels and in what format. And then automate wherever possible to remove the heavy lifting. So I've just shown you um, one you know, user path that you can use for automation. There are so many tools online that will enable you to do this. Your back office provider may be able to help you. But additionally, you know, things like MailChimp and Campaign Monitor, which your email marketing system will help you to do that as well. And then also what I want you to do is just think about if you are talking the talk, you need to walk the walk. I've seen a lot of people, we've seen a lot of greenwashing in our profession, a lot of people talking about sustainability, and it seems to be the measure of the day. This is me on my soapbox right now. Make sure that if you are doing these things, that well, if you if you want to be known for that, and you see that as a key differentiator, that you walk the talk. So, you know, get something like a certified B Corp designation, if that's what you're all about. But at the end of the day, be authentic. Clients do not want to see any cheese in your marketing. And if you have a thought through strategy like this one that I've discussed, you're more likely to lead those clients through that whole process of know, like, and trust, and then bring them on as paying clients. Anyway, I hope this has been helpful. Thank you for your time. Negroup Collective Investments is an authorized collective investment scheme manager in terms of the Collective Investment Schemes Control Act. Negroup Investments does not provide advice on financial products and will only give you factual information. For further details on our funds and to view our terms and conditions, please visit negroupinvestments.co.za.